Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Elizabeth Barnett-Lawton, and I'll be interviewing some of the industry's most inspiring talent for the British Beauty Council's Careers Insights podcast series. Looking back on the last two decades of my own career as a magazine journalist and a university lecturer, it was having the opportunity to interview thought leaders, celebrities, and entrepreneurs that has been one of the greatest highlights. I'm just as fascinated today in speaking to the great minds and personalities behind industry figures as I was reading about them as a student. Hearing someone's story, a shared experience from someone who's made it in their chosen field, can provide much needed inspiration for anyone seeking a path to a fulfilling career. This is why the British Beauty Council are providing special access into the careers of inspirational beauty industry leaders exclusively for our members. So whether you're a student or perhaps you're thinking of a career change, we think our Careers Insights podcast series featuring some of the UK's best talent could be the vital boost to your dreams and motivation. For me, and I hope for you too, the podcast series is a fascinating insight into the lives of some of Britain's biggest beauty success stories. Welcome to the show. Charlotte Menser is an award-winning hairstylist, owner of the Hair Lounge Salon in London's Notting Hill, and founder of the Charlotte Menser Manchetti Oil product range. Charlotte trained at the London College of Fashion in the 1980s, honing her skills under the tutelage of the late Winston Isaacs, known as the godfather of British Afro hairdressing. She was crowned Afro Hairdresser of the Year for the third time at the British Hairdressing Awards and now enters their Hall of Fame. Her multi-award-winning Charlotte Mensah Manchetti Oil Premium Hair Care range is designed for Afro and mixed and also curly hair types. And it's made using organic, ethical and sustainable sourced oils, which produce incredible results and smell divine. Charlotte is also the author of the book, Good Hair, Essential Guide to Afro-Textured and Curly Hair. And she is an inspiration to stylists, business owners and women worldwide. Hi, Charlotte. Hi. Thank you so much for um, taking part in the Careers Insights podcast. So you've carved out an incredible career, having won British Hairdressing Awards Afro Hairdresser of the Year three times. So you're now in their Hall of Fame, incredible, and marketing uh, your own hair care line, uh, the Charlotte Mensah Manchetti Oil Hairline, um, your salon, and of course your, your book, The Good Hair, Essential Guide to Afro Textured and Curly Hair. But what led you to, to being a hairdresser to start with? Was there a moment when you thought, I'm going to be a hairdresser? I think I had very fond memories of my mother doing me and my younger sister's hair. But before that, living in um, Ghana with my grandparents and my grandmother used to do all of our hair. So she would just gather all of us together and put the oils in, brush our hair. So that was something that I grew up around my aunties, older siblings. So I always saw um, hair being done. And then I think when my mum passed away, I became like the, the person that would do my younger sister's hair. I was like a bit of a mum to her and we'll cook together. We used to read together, look at magazines because I loved fashion. I just loved it. And I think I felt really, really, really happy when I did hair because it was like, almost like being like mum. And because she wasn't around, it was, it was like she was around. And also it was like a bit of a bonding time for me and my sister. It brought us more closer. I could ask her how she was feeling. And, you know, we're all going through grief. And mm. it, he took on the role of your mother then. In, yeah. And doing her, the same techniques for your little sister. Yeah, because I think, 
you know, she was only three years old. So it would be things like cornrowing, brushing, putting her hair into pigtails. It was just little cute styles like that. So it just felt very therapeutic. And also it felt like mum was around because it was something that she would have done. I was very fortunate to get onto the youth training scheme and that's how it all started, yeah. The youth training scheme. Mm. I mean, it, it's such a shame because it doesn't exist any, any longer. But how, how did the sort of YTS give you that, that first start? Oh, the YTS was actually a really brilliant training scheme because it, it kind of gave you um, the practical side of hairdressing. So we were in a salon for four days a week and then we were 10 college one day a week. And I was very fortunate to have got into the most amazing Afro salon ever. I think, I mean, people said it was the first salon in, in the UK, but I reckon it was the first salon in Europe because people would come from, it was like a destination salon. People came from America, came from Germany. Which from, salon was that? It was called Splinters, the very first black salon to open. I reckon it was the first salon to open in Europe, not just the UK, because yeah. I've always heard people say, oh, it was the first salon in the UK. But the type of salon it was, it was, you know, like a five-star hotel. It was very high standard. So I, I can't imagine any other salon that, you know, just specifically catered for Afro hair being open around that same time. It was open in 1971. You really had the best start, didn't you? Was that just luck? Or do you think they sort of fixed everybody up with the, with their sort of perfect YTS I think partner? I was, um, when the careers officer at the age of 15, a careers officer came to um, my secondary school and I was offered like Vidal Sassoon, I was offered Sunrise, I was offered, I think Tony and Guy, yeah. There was like three, three other salons that really stood out. So those were the other three. And I specifically chose splinters because I had curly hair, I had Afro hair, and I wanted to learn more about what can I do with this curly hair that I have. So it was like, the for me, it was the right choice. And I was very fortunate that the day I went for my interview, I was interviewed by the owner, Winston Isaacs, who just seemed like a it just seemed like a really, really nice man. And I was like, oh my God, this is where I want to be. And I just kept saying, I hope I get it. And then when I got it, it all made sense because Splinters was like a community. It was like lots and lots of different types of people came to the salon from like newsreaders to singers to Hollywood stars. So it was like, yeah, it was just... Can you mention any names? Yeah, there were people like Dinah Ross, <gasps> um, Janet Jackson. I remember being really good friends with Bob Marley's daughter, Sidella. Della Marley and they were like the same they used to come in with the two brothers and they she was at the same age as me at the time when she used to come in and I just had a really nice closeness with her because I felt like every time she came in she had some new stuff to tell me she had all the gossip all the countries that they've been to what was happening and she was really fashionable as well and because I love fashion we just really really got on and also it was just nice to I think because I really miss Ghana as well because I spent my primary years there. Being in Splinters felt like that community spirit, that atmosphere that I was missing, you know, so it was like a... Second home almost. Mm, it was so nice. Really, really happy. I always felt a lot of joy when I was there and, and also just seeing all the transformations. It was like 
wow, you could do this with this. You could do this hair. Yeah, because you this, can really yeah, transform afro hair, can't you? Really, it's so versatile. So what what did you learn? So you had the you'd had the background of the culture of learning hair from your from your mother, which you then sort yeah. of passed down through your family. So what then? How did working at Splinters sort of elevate your skill set? Being at Splinters really kind of polished everything so it was more like you're learning more about the science you're learning more about the different hair types like what can you do with this type what conditioner does it need what oils and and just also a lot of communication skills because before the stylist would actually begin with the hair service there's a whole conversation going on about what do they need what's their lifestyle what sort of work so I learned a lot about just general communication skills also I learned that the more I seek out to like want to like learn more different things like setting blow drying the more opportunities I was given so for instance if in a week I really did well with like all the conditioning treatments and all the hair setting the next week I'll be moved on to like maybe round brush blow drying so I, I realized that it's all about, you know, being a fast learner as well and, and really paying attention because there was a lot to learn. And over the years, have you seen a bit more of a, a move towards embracing natural hair? Because you talk about setting and the idea of setting is quite traditional, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but that was in the 80s. It was like Dallas and Dynasty. Everybody had this really kind of coiffed, you know, the hair was... Really, it well, was Diana really, Ross had it. Yeah, it was beautiful though, but... It, it, that was the look that was what was happening and and that was the, the the trend and then we went on to curly perms so curly perms were like you know these sort of perms where you have to use the rods and you spend hours neutralizing so that was like a really big trend didn't the band five star have that hair yes they had that hair and lots of people michael jackson michael jackson yeah yeah lots of people had um I, I remember um, having it done for my 14th birthday, and I thought I was the the best looking girl in town. With <laughs> I thought <laughs> I I looked... you were. <laughs> I remember like just loving it because it was just um, it was so easy to maintain. You just put on a few little bits of products, and that was it. You didn't need to blow dry. You didn't need to do anything. So it was such a low maintenance um, hairstyle. But I remember like it was. Yeah, it was so busy in the salon because everybody wanted to have their hair curly perm. And in a day, sometime you could do up to about 15 neutralizers. It was so busy. What advice would you give to someone wanting to, to get into working with Afro and curly hair today? There's no YTS anymore. Yeah, there's no YTS. You just need to. There's so many. Um, well, there isn't, but I think it's going to be very soon. There's a lot of courses coming up. Um, I think GHD have got some coming up. L'Oreal's got some amazing courses coming up. I have some amazing courses coming up. So they just need to really research and just keep seeking out. I know it's it's not a lot, but there's a few that really stands out that you can um, research, go online, have a look, see who's doing courses on textured hair and Afro hair and, and just give it a go. And yeah. of course, my book, Good Hair, it's... <laughs> that's like a big big you know you can learn so much from this this is an amazing book to start you off it's a beautiful book as well thank you it has everything literally everything you can learn from the scalp to the hair shaft to the cortex it's got everything in there and it's got loads of tips and tricks it's even got a part that just talks to you about how to make products 
and really useful actually for people that have mixed race children when they don't know how to deal with the hair. A hundred percent. It's got, it's jam packed. I mean, you'd be surprised how much you can learn from this one. It's like a Bible. It's like a Bible to um, learning all the techniques, the tips and tricks, the maintenance of Afro hair. And aside from that, it's got a lot of history. So aside from just knowing how to do the Afro hair, it's good to know the history, what certain hairstyles mean, why they are how they are, why do you braid hair, why do you thread the hair, it's all in there. And it, it kind of leads you to really learning a lot more about black history, aside from seriously. Which all hairdressers need to do. A hundred percent. All hairdressers need to yeah, do. It should be on hair- reading lists, the, the book for courses really, shouldn't it? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we've had a few colleges inquire about putting it in their libraries and stuff. So that's a good. So who would you say had been the, the sort of biggest champion in your career to, to help you? Ah, oh, there's so many. There's so many. I think my family have been incredible in supporting me. Um, even though like as a hairdresser, I remember like any time you told anybody you wanted to be a hairdresser, the first thing they say is like, what's wrong with you? Why do you want to be a hairdresser? That's not really, like people don't respect it. They will look at it like, oh, are you not clever? Or are you not, why do you want to be, it's not, you know, it's like almost like someone that's not dyslexia, but it's almost like it's not regarded as a, it's like a low end. You're never respected. I remember like all of those years ago, people would just say, what, you want to be a hairdresser? That's not really... Or didn't you do well at school? Did you fail all your exams? Are you this? Like, there's always some negative around it. That's a cultural uh, thing in, in Britain, though, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of hierarchy of respect for different professions. Yeah, and they just never really respected it. So what, did you have people that were not thinking, well, why don't you go off and study yeah, to be a lawyer yeah. or something instead? Yeah, and I remember even my dad not believing in it and all my aunties saying, oh, you could do something else. But do you know what? The more they saw that I was loving it I was getting up every day I was rushing to go to work they believed in me and they just kept backing me and supporting me and um of course the number one person that actually made it all happen was Winston Isaacs who I think gave me that opportunity and believed in me he believed in me and he knew that there was something that you can be this I remember he used to aside from just teaching us hairdressing and being in the salon he used to do these sort of like monthly meetings with us. And he would say, look, you know, for you to be a lady, you have got to stand properly. Stop chewing. You know, you're chewing like a cow. So <laughs> it just, it, <laughs> it wasn't the finishing just school as well. Yeah, he was really about etiquette and, you know, like standards and you've got to look professional. You've got to be early. And it used to literally get the towel and hit us if we came late. I mean, he would probably be put in jail by now if it was this time. But I remember those timekeeping so important. Isn't yeah, it? You can't time be late. professional, being consistent. So he would say to us, look, you need to really learn the skill properly. Don't just jump from this to that. Yeah. Make sure you get the experience that you need and then you move on to the next. So I'm, I was very, very fortunate to have had him who really, to me, gave me those opportunities at the very young age of 16. Yeah, he sounds like a bit of a legend. Yeah, he was, really. I don't even think he, he was actually honoured because he died like a few, five years ago, actually, soon. And he never really got the honour that he truly deserved. Yeah, so in a way, you have taken that baton, haven't you? It was just so incredible to have had that opportunity to be around all of those great people 
I remember um, the type of clients that would come in were like business women who were very driven. And I remember as young as 16 thinking, I, I want to be different. I want to be like one of these women, you know, and it was just nice to see at such a young age. And it really opened my eyes that, that there was so much more. So it was a great place. And then, of course, going to um, London College of Fashion, that was another epic move like to have, to have happened for me at such a young age because London had this vibe, we had this energy, you know, we, we were in the same college as Alexandra McQueen, Stella McCartney, it was incredible. And there was so much amazing things happening, like there was Kensington Market, it was around 86 till about 89. And then you had Carnaby Street. There was just so many things. There was so many inspiring, like London was just the best place to be, to be honest. And I think all of those experiences, being around all of those great people, all of that really helped to shape me and to be who I am today. But yeah. first and foremost, I think having that opportunity at Splinters was everything. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. so you've had all these sort of, uh, incredible journey and the high points and the support of, of Winston I imagine there's a huge need still for um, the sort of premium end of uh, salons for Afro hair um, and, and you've been very successful with your own salon in Nutting Hill and of course your hairline what have been the the big challenges have you experienced sort of obstacles as well as help you've obviously had a lot of luck but there have been yeah. obstacles and, and what have those been yeah, I think the challenges never stop. As long as you're living, there's always going to be challenges. There, there's been challenges where um, you kind of experience, um, I remember the shop that I'm in now, I remember ringing up and I was told, oh no, you can't afford it. You know, it's, it's gone. So I literally had to get someone who was European to ring and that's, yeah. So that To was rent some, your salon, do you mean? Yeah. And to that actually was rent the salon? Yeah, shocking. that was 18, 19 years ago. It's as if they wouldn't trust you. Yeah, they're going to pay the rent that, or something. No, there's no way. She's a young black girl. What does she know? But could you believe that I had already been in business? So I've had my salon in a business center since 1999. So I was, that was 2003. So I was actually four or five years in. And I had started that salon with like 50 clients. And within two years, it was over 500 clients. So you had a viable business and you knew the business because you already had clientele, but for some reason, there's this sort of stigma like, oh no, you can't afford Portobello Road. You're going to fail. So, you know, the challenge is it's even like, even um, when I launched my products, there were times where, well, hold on a minute. I've, I'm an expert. I know what I'm talking about. The products are amazing. It works really well on all curly textures. Why aren't the shops taking it? So you go through it, you go through it, like you get, you go through so many no's and then one day they'll be like, oh, okay, we definitely love your products. We want to launch it in the, you know, in the store. After all those no's, you end up yeah. selling your line in net porte Yeah, and Space and K and Cult Beauty. How amazing. Liberty, yeah, it's been incredible. It's, but it took a long time for people to it take notice and realise. I mean, yeah, the products will be five years old in a few weeks' time. So it's been five years. And I know some people won't even wait five months. They'll be like, well, I've got the products. They're ready. I need it to go into the marketplace now. But 
the challenges are many. Like we could sit here all day and talk about the challenges, but thank God that it's getting better. And at least there's people like me that can prove to other young black up and coming product owners that it's possible, it's possible. Because a lot of the big brands have avoided launching have, I don't know if they've avoided it, but they just haven't. Or they'll market a product and they'll say it's for curly hair, but they're sort of they sort of meaning that maybe for Afro hair and then you use it and then it's not right. The, the formulation yeah. isn't right, like not enough moisture. I think that the thing is, every, everyone just jumps on this bandwagon, like, oh my God, it's trendy. I need to make products for Afro hair. I need to make products for curly hair. But there's not much research gone into it. They just think, oh, let me do a survey. Let me ask 10 people if I did this oil, would you buy it? And if they say yes, then they will rush to the lab and just make a product very quickly. There's no research. Who are making these decisions? Who are they testing it on? You know, so that's why those products weren't working. But I think now people are like, the big brands are more kind of open to, they have to be open to be bringing in consultants to look at it and have proper people on the table making these decisions when I say proper <laughs> I don't mean proper people like that but I mean have the right experts with the expertise for, for the hair type yeah yeah so if you want to make a product for afro and curly hair textures you need to have a black person at the table making these decisions absolutely just some joke blog just saying oh there's 10 of them they need this they need that no you need to do it properly so I think we're in that time now where people are it's this cancel culture and calling people out. So I feel now there's a bit more of a, a consciousness around it. Yeah. And, and your products contain mancati oil, don't they? I don't know if I yes. pronounced that right. Yes. But that's a traditional, it's from Namibia, isn't it? Yeah, the, the you've done research. Well done. Yeah, so, so presumably that was an oil that perhaps that's your right. mother and your grandmother used yeah. in their hair. So they did, yeah, and also shea butter. And um, all of these ingredients have existed for years. It's been around for thousands and thousands of years. But just that as a, as a race as well, we were sold this um, rigidity idea of beauty of what our hair should be like. So we didn't even use those products. We were like into all of the chemicals and we were sold all of these brands from the West. So then we didn't believe in our natural resources that we had. So it's really good that I found the manchetti oil and our research and and then that has become the the hero ingredients in all of my range mm, to to bring out the beauty of the of texture yeah hair. so it's really really lightweight it's really really like when i say lightweight it's so nourishing like you can really feel the moisture straight away you can feel the softness but it doesn't have that heavy greasy feel mm. so the hair just naturally looks beautiful and shiny but it's not loaded with all of this and it's the complete opposite approach to I remember even in the 90s friends that would have their hair chemically straightened and it just looked like they'd sort of crumpled their hair like an ironed hair yeah, and you just no movement but you know if you think about it that was the kind of look as well wasn't it like even if you look at um Jennifer Aniston in Friends her hair was just so polka straight and just yeah. I guess smooth hair is associated with power in that period. Yeah, like and how think, controlled my hair is. Yeah, it's so true. But I also feel like right now we're in a very conscious environment where people are more, they want everything to be natural. People don't even want to use central heat. And I was talking to someone and she said, look, I don't use central heat and I do this. I put water by my central heating. 
look how it's so bad. Like everybody is so conscious. They want to eat only certain foods. It has to be natural. Yes. It's natural. all about nature is best. Exactly. Taking it right back to the basic of the beginning and people are healing themselves. There's people that are not going like with, especially now with all the virus and stuff. I know people that would get up and they would just drink like lemon and garlic and ginger every day. And that's their way of building up the immune system. You know, they only eat certain foods. That's the way they cook it. It's very different now. It's a whole movement. Carries through to, to the hair. And that's a healing process, learning, learning exactly. to love the hair. Exactly. And then it carries through to even like sustainability. Like I, you know, like our bottles, they're all glass. So once you finish, you can use it to store something else. You might want to store some other oils in there. You might want to use it to, I sometimes put flowers in it as a little vase. You know, you can use it like, so sustainability is all around us. We're all trying to make the world a better place. So it's all about going back to basics. And I think that's where all this embracement has come from, mm. especially now with salons closed as well. People are just like, okay, this is my hair, it's frizzy. It's this, I'm just going to embrace it. So it's, it's, it's actually the time we're in as well. That's true. So, yeah. so if it's all growing, you yeah. know, whether it's your color, the texture exactly. is all coming out. And you think, what am I going to use to make the most of that? Putting in some the moisture and actually taking an opportunity to take care of it. Yeah, and I think we're at where that's where we are in life. We're all about just sustaining what we've got. Yeah. What would you say um, to somebody that wanted to sort of start out a career in in Afro hair? Now, what what would your advice be to your younger self, perhaps? starting out my younger self um I think believe in yourself more so the first and foremost is have that confidence to believe in yourself that you can do it and and just keep seeking out like just start you have to start from somewhere so start see how you get on and then you might find your your specialist specific field you might just want to go into braiding or you might want to go into um, just really doing like beautiful colors on Afro curly textures. You might just go into cutting. So find your specific field. But I also feel like it's good to be a really, really brilliant all rounder because if you can do everything and you could do it all well, you would never not be in a job. Because there might yeah. come a time where there might not be anyone, it might not be so fashionable to have color anymore. It might not be so fashionable to to have shortcuts anymore. So if you can do everything and you're so good at all the different services and all the different techniques, you'd always win because you, you can. That's great advice. Your whole experience uh, in, in your first salon with Winston. I mean, that was, that was a pivotal point, wasn't it? That was because if, if it went bad, if my first experience of going into hair, if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't have got this far. So the primary year sets the tone, doesn't it? It sets the it's foundation. So the training uh, is the so training important. really sets the foundation. And it kind of gives you this, it's almost like you've got this power now and then you build on that. So yeah. the foundation was solid. Because Yours was almost you, an, a, a fortuitous accident though, wasn't it? Because it was, you just happened yeah. to get paired um, with the salon. Yes, but, but I think because, because, also, I believe that I really respected him and that made a difference. Mm. I really respected who he was. Like, it's in the West End. I've never been there before. Look at the types of people that are coming in. 
oh my God, look where I am. It's like a five-star hotel. Whereas I feel younger people now, they don't respect things. They just think it's easy. They just think, oh, I saw her on Instagram. Oh my God, I can do that. I've got 50 likes. And they're <laughs> telling me I'm brilliant. But you open a salon now and see who would come. None of those people that are giving you the likes would even come and support it. Yeah. So I think it's very different. It's, um, we dreamt, we had to dream because we didn't have anything to compare ourselves with. We didn't have to, you know, where are you going to look to find the next? Whereas now it's like a lot of kids just copy and paste. They don't even understand it. You can, you can be inspired. You can be inspired by something that you've seen, like a, a lovely image, a lovely hairdo. But it doesn't mean you have to copy every single bit of it. You can maybe take elements and think, oh, well, I love the way that wave just moves. Maybe I can do mine, but do a side part and or, you know, find out what is it? How do you get the wave? How does the wave stay? How can I make this wave last? You don't just copy and paste it. And that's where the, the problem is, because there's not much process gone into it, you know, and everything is a process. So it's like you start here and then you get there and then it's like a baby. Yeah, you and mean like learning, not, learning the techniques and the science yeah, that you did. exactly. So you, even if you have a child, like a little baby, they don't start crawling straight away. They'll, they'll start sitting up a bit first. I mean, you even have to help them to sit up. Mm. And then eventually they start taking their first step and then they start walking. So it's all a process. I guess what you're saying in a way is that if you style hair for an Instagram photo, it doesn't need to last. It might just all flop <laughs> you've done it. But if you're actually doing real hair they need to walk out of the sun and their hair needs to look like that and, it, and it stay like that. Up, and it needs to last and it needs to, it needs to be maintained. So you need to be able to advise them. So that all comes with you being experienced and experience come from practicing. So you have to, you know, learn, practice, practice, and you will become perfect. And also when things uh, open up again, I guess the best thing to do if you're starting out is to actually walk into a salon and ask, if you can be uh, have a, a training scheme or a work placement or sweep the floor and watch or whatever it is. Yeah, 100%. Because I remember in our days, we did everything. We had to go to the laundry. And I'm talking about a big salon with like 30, 30 stylists. So we had to carry these bags. A lot and of you towels. Know, you, you can't be annoyed that you're carrying the towels because it's part of your job. And it doesn't make you less of a person because you're taking the towels you have to greet the client. There's a certain kind of communication. There's a way you, you know, you can't be late. You have to know the kind of conversation. You can't be talking all your business with the clients. There's, it's all steps, but it was all part of making of you. It was part of the, it was part of the training. So it's like being that hairdresser, you wear like maybe 10 different hats. Sometimes a receptionist might have gone to the loo. You might have to answer that phone. You know, you don't just answer, hi, yeah. You know, you have to have a professional voice. Like everything is like... I've seen a very famous salon owner in central London sweeping the floor. And I was impressed because I thought he's never lost that idea that and I own a chain of salons, but I'm still sweeping the floor. Exactly the same here. Like when my team, whenever they're busy and I'm free, I jump on the reception. I wear that hat. I can be a junior too. It doesn't make me less of who I am. I'm still Charlotte Mensah. I'm still known for what I've done. You get some younger people, they'll be like, oh, but I'm supposed to be a star. I'm supposed to be this. No, you need to do the sweeping now. What, what's wrong with you doing it? But so the rewards about, are there though, aren't they? At the end of all the hard work. 
it can exactly. be a really, really incredibly rewarding career. Hairdressing, you could take it. There's so many aspects of it. You can go on and be a session stylist. You can launch your own product range. You can go into education. You can own a chain of salons. You could be working on, t- on TV, films. There's so much theatre. It's endless. It's endless. It's such a, a happy career. It's probably one of the most happiest jobs out there, I think. There's no limits to it, is there? It can be no limits. The world no. is your oyster. A hundred percent. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Charlotte. It's been really yeah. illuminating, and I hope people listening are inspired and and oh. read your and read your book too. That's really important. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred is good. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Thank you for listening to our Careers Insights podcast. Episodes are released bi-weekly onto the British Beauty Council member zone, available to partner members, patrons and board members. You can also follow the British Beauty Council on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok and Clubhouse to stay updated with the latest news and insights. Or if you would like to contact us and find out more about becoming a member or patron, please email join me at britishbeautycouncil.com.